0: cultivate our motivation, and think that we will listen and discuss this morning, so that we can open our hearts towards all living beings, so that we can learn about how our own mind and heart work, and so by improving ourselves, we'll be able to make a positive contribution to the welfare of society and the welfare of all living beings in the world. So for the people who are at the Abbey for the first time, welcome. So usually in the um, Sharing the Dharma Day talks, we've been going through the book Taming the Mind, and I've been speaking about a chapter each uh, week. But since today was September 11th, um, we thought that some people might be expecting me to comment uh, about the anniversary. And so I thought I, w- I would do that, um, but in a way that brings in Buddhist principles and, um, yeah, to, to help us look at the situation. This morning I was reading a commentary in, or in, I'm sorry, an editorial in the New York Times. And it was uh, it mentioned that right after the tragedy on nine eleven uh you know people were shocked, but then immediately there was this feeling of uh, bonding together in compassion and in um really having one country that we were all part of that we all wanted to. Uh, benefit. And so there was really a feeling of unity at that time. This often comes in groups, whenever there's an external enemy, then the group itself gets unified. And I think that happened a lot in the country. And there was a huge outflow of compassion towards you know, the families who suffered losses, towards the people who died, towards the firefighters and the police, towards... So many people, there was this amazing outpouring of compassion. And uh, the editorial was commenting, and I think all of us can look now, ten years later, the country is so just fractitious, and you know, not only is Washington arguing with each other, but the people in the country seem to be. Quite uh, tense and argumentative with each other. You know, um, uh, there's been some kind of xenophobia, you know, anti-immigration movement, you know, increased gun laws. Um, I mean, not increased gun laws, but you know, increased pervasion of guns. <laughs> um, and and uh, I mean, what's happening in Washington too? Just people being so unable to cooperate with each other, and for the benefit of the country, and how different uh, this feeling today is from uh, right after the attack. Yeah, you know, do you remember the, what mm-hmm. happened? And there, there was. Uh, amazing feeling of, of people reaching out to each other and helping each other. Um, and my own personal wish, of course, is so that we could come back to that kind of feeling. Um, in, in Buddhism, we talk a lot about the disadvantages of self centeredness and the benefits of cherishing others. And so, when we look at the disadvantages of self-centeredness, this uh, is reflected not only in our personal lives and our personal relationships with people, but also at group relationships and national relationships. You know. And so, the the Buddha talked um, quite extensively about the disadvantages of self-centeredness. Yeah, which, if we look, we can see very clearly in our own lives. Yeah, that when we're mm, quite focused just on me, I, my, mine, what's good for me, what benefits my side, what helps the people I care about. You know, When there's this incredible strong emphasis on me, then it really tends to separate ourselves from others. And then so much focus goes on me, and our mind um, uh, conceives of the situation as happiness is like a fixed pie, and so I better get it because if I don't, somebody else will. You know? Whereas if we really look at it, you know, happiness isn't a fixed pie. It, the happiness can exist in abundance. you know, And it actually works when we examine our life that if we give happiness, we receive more happiness. Whereas when we only look out for our own happiness, we often receive less happiness. It's quite interesting, isn't it? The more we try to get something just for ourselves, the less we have of it. And uh, one way I see that that operates in my personal life is the more that I think just of myself, you know, then the more prickly I become um, when I relate to other people. And whatever they say or do, I interpret from the viewpoint of they must be talking about me. So I become incredibly super sensitive to every look, every tone of voice, every action, because I'm sure it is all in some way expressing what that person thinks about me. Now, do you ever get like that? (laughs) And, you know, when I get like that, what happens is I start reading motives into other people's actions that those people don't have at all. But I don't believe uh, that they don't have them. I believe that they have the motives that I'm imputing on them. Yeah. So then I react to every small thing they do. You know, it's like, well, you didn't smile at me and say good morning today so you must be mad at me and you know, well you're mad at me because you know this, that and the other thing and that's because you're so selfish I make up this whole story and you know, maybe the person was tired in the morning and that's why they didn't say good morning and smile at me, you know I mean there's so many situations like this where we just make up stuff and believe it. And act according to it and then we create our own problems. You know? I go to that person and maybe it's a family member out oh, or, or even, you know, a colleague at work. Oh, you always say good morning. I walked to the office today. You didn't say good morning. What's wrong? Are you all bent out of shape because I didn't clean up the coffee machine on Friday? <laughs> and the person goes I didn't even notice about the coffee machine (laughs) on
1: Friday, you know. What in the
0: world are you talking about? You know, I'm tired. I went to bed last night, late, you know. Okay? So these kinds of things, that that the more... it's It's a silly, simple example, but this happens all the time, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's just indicative of the... Disadvantages of the self centered thought, you know, because it, it makes us create problems that aren't there. Also, another real way that self centeredness creates problems is when we care only for our own happiness and look out for ourselves as number one, then we don't treat the people around us very well because we're trying to get everything for ourselves. So we may succeed in getting things for ourselves, we may succeed in getting our way, but then the other people around us are not going to be very happy. Yeah? We may have what we want, but we live in, then we'll live in a society where other people don't have what they need. Okay, you know how they, there's this expression that you win the battle but you lose the war. Yeah, so we may be battling with somebody. If you know, we've got to do things my way, and we may really tromp on them and get things done our way, but then the other person really resents us. So even though you know we got our way on the immediate issue, we're living with somebody who resents us. Who feels like we're being heavy-handed and arrogant? And then, of course, when they have that kind of feeling about our actions, you know, they'll act towards us in that way, and then that creates more problems for us, doesn't it? So uh, I think that's why His Holiness Dalai Lama always says, if you want to be selfish, be wisely selfish, and Uh, Be kind to the people around you. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Because when we're kind to the people around us, then their needs are met, then they feel respected, they feel cared for, then we live with people who are happier and with people who think well of us and appreciate us. Whereas when we're self-centered, we wind up living with people Who's who are unhappy, whose needs aren't met, and who regard us with suspicion, and think that we're very, uh, you know, self-centered and arrogant, and that doesn't make for harmony in our relationships. You know, you can see in in our society now we have so many gated communities. Yeah, here's a gate, and you know you can't come in, unless I let you come in. But that gate is meant to create a sense of security. But I think it sets up a mind of insecurity. Because you're locking certain people out, so your mind always has the thing of, well, when are they going to come in? <laughs> you know, They're always trying to get in, and they have the motivation to hide harm me. So I need to build that gate and then I need to have the the security system and I need to do this and that and the other thing. And our own mind becomes quite uptight. Yeah. Whereas like, if we live in a society where the wealth is more evenly distributed then we don't have to fear so much because you know, there's there's not this big gap, you know, between the the rich and the poor. When I was in Israel many years ago, I um, I uh, met with one Sufi leader a few times. And, you know, I made a few trips there and met with him. Wonderful man. He lives in Nablus. and um, he was telling me that in Islam, you're not allowed to have things that your neighbor can't afford. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow. Mm-hmm. You know, of course Islam is like all religions, you know, there's what's said and then what people mm-hmm. do, you know. But I thought, what an incredible thing, you know, to really live your life so that you make sure you don't, you know, have show show off wealth that the people around you can't afford, which only creates tension in the community. And then this fear that, you know, they're gonna come and take away from me what is mine. Yeah, because I have it, but they don't. Okay, so if we look, you know, this self-centered attitude creates a lot of problems on a personal level, and I think on a group level within our own country. You know, when the both Republicans and the Democrats get this thing of we're only going to take care of our own party, you know, and and whatever our own party does is right, and we're going to do all we can to put down other parties, then it's that same mentality taken from a personal level to a group level, and what we find is that the whole country suffers. You know, their their inability to resolve that financial debt which was a stupid thing to start with because they already agreed to spend the money so how can you agree to spend the money but not pay the bill Um, (laughs) you know what kind of example is that to set for the American people you know so uh, you know that kind of mentality damages everybody in the society you know when uh, when we look at at an us versus them, you know, different groups in society, it creates that very bad feeling. I was really disappointed with the you know the whole controversy, and I don't know what the res- resolution finally was when they wanted to build the Islamic Community Center, in, uh you know, in uh, Lower Manhattan. You know, I thought, what a wonderful thing, because it was going to also have interfaith activities, and it would be a way, really, for many people from many groups to to come in contact with each other and learn about each other. And I couldn't understand why people said, that's disrespectful, but having strip (coughs) clubs was not disrespectful. (laughs) You know? It was okay to have a bar and a strip club close to the place of a, a tragedy, but it wasn't okay to have a religious organization there. I, I had difficulty in understanding that. You know, I mean, I could see how some people might think that way, but you know, for me, it, w- it was not a thing that I would have uh, come to an, uh, c- a conclusion about. But that illustrated some kind of real division in the country instead of reaching out and learning to collaborate. You know, I just remember the, um, the ceremony at the National Cathedral after 9/11. They had so many religions speaking. They didn't have Buddhists, but I didn't write a letter and complain and say, "Oh, you people are against Buddhists. Why don't you have us? Your are prejudices, everybody else?" You know, <laughs> I could have done that, but you know, it was like that. Why? But, but now, you know, there was this all so much factitiousness about. Well, you're not having religion, and well, you are having religion, but you're not inviting everybody. And again, just this, you know, people just thinking about me, I, my, and mine, and it creates such an unpleasant feeling uh, within the country. Yeah. Whereas when we really look, and, and you know, like, let's okay, they didn't invite Buddhists. That's okay. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to make a big deal about that. People are grieving, and you know, and we can still celebrate the whole meaning of the service. Yeah, without our representative being there. Okay. So, in in a similar way, what, what I really saw um, after 9/11 is because I travel a lot to other countries, is there was so much uh, sympathy and compassion for the U.S. You know, such an outpouring. You know, people really felt very much compassion towards us as a country. Right, uh, you know, immediately after the, uh, you know, what happened. But then, after a couple of years, all that compassion was gone because of the way we as a nation reacted. Yeah. We reacted with, um, well, we were instructed to go shopping and get angry. Yeah. So we went shopping we overspent, people created too much debt, you know on a personal level, and, uh, and then we all got angry at who we didn't know but somebody, some them, out there, and then we got involved in two wars which has, you know, been devastated our national economy. And then um, devastated the lives of so many of our young people who are coming home from those wars with PTSD. And I think we're going to really see in the future the long-term effects you know, of those wars on the vets when they're back here. Because um, it's difficult for them. It's really hard for them coming home. So... You know, to see where anger takes us on an individual level, where anger takes us on a national level, where it takes us on a group level, on a political level, it doesn't take us to a place where we feel comfortable. Yeah? Whereas, you know, if you come back to those first few weeks, like after 9 11, with people really coming together in many ways, yeah, uh, and helping each other, that created a very nice feeling in the country. Of course, you know, there were the people who went out and shot anybody who was wearing a turban, you know, and those people couldn't differentiate somebody from the Sikh religion, which is a totally different religion, you know. From, you know, cultures that wear turbans, but, but aside from that, um, you know, when people can come together with a feeling of, you know, let's work together, let's help each other, let's join together and and uh, see what caused this and what we can do about it. So I think, you know, on a personal level, to think much more about benefiting the people around us on a group level within the country on a political level you know, how nice it would be if the political parties really worked together for the benefit of the country yeah. and then on a, a national and international level if we could work together with other countries to solve some of the difficulties that we face as a planet you know for example, climate change and nuclear stuff and these kinds of things which so often our country you know we say we want but when there's an uh, an international agreement we don't sign it. So um, you know this all depends on just changing our mind and I really see it as a similar mental state whether we're individuals or or uh, on a national level, of really seeing how interdependent we are with other living beings. You know, that, okay, we might live our own life and build a wall around everything that harms us, or a gate around everything that we think will harm us, but pretty soon we're going to be very, very lonely. Because we're going to, expel everybody else from our own little protected area yeah uh, and we can see it on a personal level you know we just oh this person harmed me get out that person harmed me this person harm me. and pretty soon you know we don't have any friends because we don't want to be friends with anybody because our mind is so tight and fearful and suspicious it's not happiness Okay, So similarly, you know, if we live in a group and we develop that mentality, mm. or if we live in a country and develop that mentality, Yeah, and so I think to really um, practice seeing how we're all so uh, interdependent on each other, how we can't really survive without other people. Yeah? And so to see those other people as kind and treat them respect, respectfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's funny, you know, because we can see how so much of our uh, lifestyle depends on oil. Um, but, the, uh, but then the oil is coming from particular countries. And do we treat those countries where the oil is coming from respectfully? Do we treat them as if, oh, thank you so much for sharing your oil with us? Mm -hmm. Or do we treat them with, you have oil, I want it, get out of my way so I can take your oil? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, you know, to really train our mind to see how we are dependent on each other, how we need each other. And how, when we treat other people well, it comes back to us in so many different ways. Just on a, a practical level, um, you know, if you think about what your mom taught you, my mom taught me, be nice to other people because then you'll have more friends. <laughs> Did your mom teach you that? <laughs> yeah. My mom didn't teach me. You know, go throw sand in everybody's eyes and go throw rocks at them. You know? Because she said, if you do that, you're not going to have any friends. They're going to throw sand back at you and rocks back at you. Yeah? So be nice to other people and then you'll have more friends. Okay. So it was good advice. Yeah? I mean, that's the same thing the Buddha's teaching us. I think that was the same thing Jesus and Mohammed and Moses and everybody else is trying to teach people. Okay? But uh, you know, but we need to actually train our mind so that we believe that and we see that and we act accordingly. Yeah? So that we can see that happiness is not it's not just a limited amount of happiness. You know, happiness is in abundance and more and more can be created. And the more we give it, the more we receive it. Okay, so we can we can see when we understand interdependence, when we start to take care of the people around us, uh, that then we have more friends on an individual level, on a group level, on an international level. Okay, um, but we also feel better about ourselves. Yeah. I mean, think about it for a minute. If you really practice... It's a, a very interesting homework assignment to give yourself. Practice saying nice things about other people. And practice saying nice things to other people. Okay? And especially the people you live with in your family, or especially the people at work who you see on a daily basis... Give yourself the homework assignment of every day I have to say something nice to them or something nice about them or something where I encourage them and I point out something good that they did or some talent that they had. And give yourself that kind of assignment and carry it out And see not only what happens in your relationships at home and at work and at school, but what happens to your own mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah? When you train your mind to see the beauty in other beings, that has a different mind, that different effect on you than when you train your mind to see others' faults. Do you get what I mean? When you know the state of mind that's picking faults at others, I mean, I know that state of mind very well. Mm-hmm. This one is an doesn't This one, this, is, how can he do that? And if I ask myself, you know, all that time that I spend putting other people down, whether I say something to them or to other people, or whether I keep it in myself in my own heart, am I happy at that time? So, are you happy when your mind is complaining and blaming and finding fault with others? No, our own mind is unhappy. Our own mind is unhappy. Who's creating our unhappiness? Us, through the way we're thinking. It's not other people being like this and that and the other thing that's creating our unhappiness. It's our dwelling in thinking only about man's <coughs> faults. Yeah. It creates a very unhappy state of mind. We feel so alienated from others, so cut off, we can't talk to them, we can't communicate, because all our mind does is inside, oh that one you know. And if we try and talk to somebody, we're so disagreeable. <laughs> but, you know, it's hard to have a conversation. Whereas if we really train our mind, you know, give yourself this homework assignment to say something nice to or about people you live with and people you see at work every day, Yeah, then you're training your mind to see others' goodness. And you feel so much better. Yeah we feel so much better when we look around and say wow look at so and so they're really trying instead of look at so and so they try but they can't do it right yeah it's the same situation we can describe it two different ways yeah and we can say oh look you're trying you're making a little bit of progress that's good And encourage that person, and that person feels good. We feel good. And so, you know, finding a way to encourage others, to point out something good in everybody that you encounter. And then see how you feel afterwards, at the end of the day. As well as see how your relationships are affected by it when we really think about this and when we try it out you know, it becomes very clear what the, the Buddha taught about the disadvantages of self-centeredness mm-hmm. and the benefits of cherishing others so you might have some comments or some questions yeah I have a question um how would you define
2: the, the, the true art of collaboration where people with differing opinions can come in? How what,
0: what does that really look like? Yeah. Okay, so the real art of collaboration. One thing, I think, is to... And with how diff, different people with different ideas can work together. I think one thing is to imagine all of the people who are working together, it's not like Mm -hmm. we're sitting across from each other on the table. We're all sitting on the same side of the table. And the problem, Mm -hmm. or what we're trying to work out, is on the other side. Mm -hmm. So we're all on the same side. We all want to see a a resolution of this problem. So we're all on the Mm -hmm. same side. Working together to solve whatever it is that we're looking at. Conceiving things that way in our mind is very different than I'm on this side, you're on that side, and the problem's in the middle. Okay, but we're all on the same side looking at it. Another thing that I find very helpful in collaboration. And uh, is to really invite everybody's ideas. And when they speak their ideas, really listen and don't say yes, but. And this is something I personally have difficulty with because, you know, somebody says, gives some idea. And if I see a problem in it, I want to smash that idea right away. to prevent everybody else in the group from thinking it's a good idea.
1: <laughs>
0: because if I don't smash that idea right away, everybody else might think it's a good idea. You know? So then I chirp up and smash it, and then the other person is left feeling bad. Whereas if I kept my mouth shut, they give their idea, you know, other people give their ideas, other people give their ideas. Maybe nobody needs to then point out the fault in that first person's idea. Yeah, because instead other ideas have come up that people see as better. Okay. Another thing is to really differentiate the idea from the person. Yeah, because and, and this goes for us, too. When we get attached to our idea, then if somebody finds fault with our idea, or sees the disadvantage of our idea, we feel like it's personal criticism. It's not. It has nothing to do with us as a person. It's just commentary on the idea. In the same way, when other people give ideas... Instead of saying, you're crazy, you know, (laughs) separate the idea from the person. Yeah? And that person's giving some ideas, but their ideas aren't the person. And as you discuss some more, everybody's ideas are going to change and evolve. Yeah? Whereas often, if we associate the idea with the person, Then either we or the other party, or maybe both, will stick up for our own idea even though we see the disadvantages of it because we're too proud to give up. Okay? And I think this is what often is happening in Washington. Okay. Whereas it isn't a matter, you know, the people aren't the ideas. We don't have to be the you know, our idea gaining currency doesn't mean we're good people. Our idea not gaining currency doesn't mean we're bad people. And the same goes for other people, you know, they're not good or bad, depending on their ideas. So to invite all the ideas, you know, hear them all. And then everybody together to start to shift sift through and okay you know what are our priorities and what do we need to do first and what other things do we need to take into consideration on working yeah and I think also another really important thing that follows from this is respecting people no matter what their ideas are okay so not insulting the people that we're working with and not putting them down and making them feel stupid yeah because my observation is that people uh people care more about whether they're respected or not than whether they have possessions you know it's like their sense of honor yeah and so or, and just you know, being respected as a human being who is capable of thinking, and if people feel respected, then even though their ideas aren't, you know, you may not enact their idea, they still feel like they're part of the group and they feel like they're okay. Whereas when we ostracize somebody because of their idea, yeah. Then it, it really, then we're disrespecting the person, and then that person, you know, obviously is going to feel excluded and feel antipathy toward the group, and then be uncooperative.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask a question on, on your talk. Um, you talked about the first part of um, kindness towards mm-hmm. people. and generating that kindness and looking for that. But um, what about the other side? When when people have really um, a desire to be kind and good and, and to help where it's needed, but then they break because of their own limitedness. They have a desire to help and, and kindness, but whatever, it's more than what they can handle, and then they go to the opposite side. If they like wisdom of knowing how much is too much, or what's yes. enough, or yes. when when do you say no, or how do you say no? And then if you do go too much, and then you feel guilty because then you it was worse than if you started in the beginning. or... You know
0: <laughs> yeah, I th- I think people know what she's talking about. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> we all fallen into that extreme. Yeah, I think. You know, like you have a good heart and then you volunteer and you say yes and then you realize you can't come through or it's stretching you too thin or you're exhausted or whatever. So I think one thing to do is, um, before we say yes, to really stop and think, do I have the time? You know, Or stop to think, what is this going to entail? You know? What is it going to entail time wise in terms of my resources, in terms of relationships and this, this kind of thing? So what are the requirements of of this? And then to have that very clear in our mind, and then to think what am I actually capable of doing and giving? Yeah? Because I find that when we overcommit it's usually because either we haven't stopped to think what's required we've been too enthusiastic and said yes at the beginning or we haven't stopped to consider everything else going on in our life and what we can practically be able to give so i think it's good you know to to really practice stopping and and thinking first you know before we say yes sometimes it happens that we look and think, and yeah, I can do it, and we say yes, and then, as they say, life happens, <laughs> and some unexpected thing comes, and you know your attention has to go elsewhere; it can't stay with what you said you were going to do and at that time, I think the best thing to do is to to tell the other people who are depending on us. I'm really sorry, you know, I was intending to do this, but now, you know, somebody in the family's sick or, you know, this or that happened, and I really am unable to do that. I'm very sorry. And tell the person as soon as you can that you won't be able to do it. Sometimes what happens is we say we're going to do it, and we, but, you know, we should be able to. But then something comes up, we're not able to do it. But we don't want to tell the other person because they're going to feel disappointed and we don't want to disappoint them or they'll feel inconvenienced. So we don't put it off, you know, we put off telling them. And then we sit and think, well, maybe this other thing that's taking my attention away won't take too long and I will be able to get this done. So we don't tell anybody until right before they need it and at the end we still aren't able to do it and then that is what's really inconvenient for the other person when they're going along thinking that you know we're able to do it when we're not but we haven't told them and then they find out right before they need it so it's I think it's much better when we find out that we can't do that or when we realize that we've overcommitted, to really, you know, go and right then say, I'm really sorry, you know, but this is what happened and I can't fulfill it and I want to tell you now, so that somebody else can come in and fill in for me, you know, and take care of this.
2: Yeah. How do we gain insight to knowing our
0: limits? How do we have insight into knowing our limits? I think this, you know, this is very difficult. It's very difficult. Uh, one reason is because our limits are not some static phenomena that once we find them, they always stay that way. What are our limits at any particular moment? Constantly changing.
1: Yeah.
0: But I think it it entails this is where i find you know a daily meditation practice very helpful because in daily meditation then trying you know i can look more at at the thoughts and feelings in my mind and i can tell by what is coming up in my mind whether i am close to my limit or not <laughs> yeah and if i'm close to my limit to what degree do i need to communicate that to the other people and to what degree do i need to work on changing my own mind yeah sometimes i can look and i can see really on a physical level i am near my limit you know and there changing my own mind is not what's going to help because i my body needs rest yeah so then I need to go and say, you know, my body is pooping out on me <laughs> and I need to rest. Yeah. Other times the limit is uh somebody's been asking and asking and the needs are coming fast and furious and I just can't keep up with them. Yeah. Sometimes it's more than I expected to be able to do uh you know, and so then I have to sit and and, and say to myself, okay, um, maybe it's not a physical limitation, but mentally, you know, I'm getting tired. And so then, where's my mental fatigue coming from? Yeah. Sometimes mental fatigue is simply because it's related to the physical fatigue and the number of hours you've been working at something. Sometimes the mental fatigue is. I'm expecting, I really want somebody to say thank you. I want some strokes. I want some appreciation. I want somebody to, you know, notice what I've done and nobody is. So I'm building up some resentment. Yeah. So in that kind of situation, then I have to see, okay, I'm wanting some acknowledgement. The other people aren't giving it. I want to really have a pure motivation in giving, you know, and not expect other people to uh, you know, come on, you gotta pay up and say some nice things about me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah? I want to be able to do this without my mind acting up in that way. So is there a way where I can, you know, say to myself, Oh, look what I'm doing You know, I can give myself some appreciation. I can give myself some Affirmation that I'm doing some good work. I can thank myself instead of, you know, expecting somebody else to do that. So in that kind of way, it's a thing of changing my mind. Yeah, rather than than change, you know, changing the situation. But I find that all of this kind of, you know, in response to your question, how do you know what your limits are? i mean i find that this, this thing of you know having some time every day just to sit quietly and alone with myself and to think about things is really important you know when i keep, when i'm too busy then i'm not in touch with what i'm feeling and that's when i'm not aware of what my limits are that makes some sense one sure. Did,
2: yeah. did Buddha ever say no to anybody? <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: yes, and Bu- Buddha said no, and Buddha scolded his disciples.
1: Really? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> In other words, compassion, love, and compassion don't mean that you become a doormat. Okay. Yeah, knowing how to say no with love, knowing how to say no with compassion, knowing how to say no because you need to take care of yourself, because if you fall apart, then you're of no benefit to anybody else. All that is perfectly fine, and very good, actually. How do you know
2: benefits... Help, or if you're trying
1: to control something, or if you are enabling something.
0: Well, this is where you really have to look inside, you know, and look at the situation and look inside. I mean, I have um, inside, there, there's a certain way, you know, when I'm in touch with what's going on. When I'm saying yes because I want somebody to like me. When I'm saying yes because I'm afraid of what will happen if I say no, there's a certain kind of feeling inside my mind. For a long time, I was very good at ignoring that feeling, and that's why I got into trouble a lot. But now, you know, when there's that certain feeling in my mind, it's like, okay, you know, I'm about to do something. There's a T.S. Eliot quote that I remember. I forgot most of my education, but I remember this quote. The last temptation is the greatest treason to do the right thing for the wrong reason. Yeah? So maybe I'm about to say yes to some wonderful thing, but it's for the wrong reason. Then I need to really stop, because if I say yes... After a while, I'm going to be very unhappy and make other people unhappy. Yeah? So, you know, if I'm saying yes as a way of enabling because I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I say no, that's not so good. There's, you know, there's some kind of feeling inside here. When I'm saying yes because I feel like I'm being coerced into it and forced into it because I have no power. it yeah, feels uncomfortable inside. I need to listen to that. And then I either, you know, need to change my mind or communicate better with the other person. You know, say what I'm really thinking, express my concerns. Lots of times we look, I mean, I know I've done this, and I've been so excited about something, and I can see red flags
1: <laughs>
0: all over it, but I ignore them because I'm so excited and I see, you know, oh, this person's wonderful, this idea is wonderful. And the person who I think is so wonderful is waving this big red flag. <laughs> And I'm going. Oh, put that down. We'll <laughs> overcome that red flag. It's not going to be an issue. <laughs> well, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. But some um, your
2: boundaries have to be strong, don't they? Or yourself, assuming if you're in a situation where maybe, um, say, with a particular group or whatever, where you have a function and you've stayed with that because because there may be consequences if you don't do it, and, you know, maybe nobody else wants to do this or whatever, and you keep trying to extricate yourself, and obviously there's ego in there as well, but sometimes to have those boundaries where you're comfortable enough to say, I can't do this because this isn't good for me, and I don't think it's ultimately good for the group, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: but you can see that people are fearful about that because it's, well, what are we going to do? And that becomes very difficult when you have that. Where you're able to sit with that.
0: Yeah, because yeah, I mean, none of us like to give bad news, do we? Mm-hmm. We all want to make everybody happy. We all want to take care of everybody. You know, here's your cookie, and your cookie, and your cookie, and your cookie. So nobody whine at me and say, I'm not giving you your cookies.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. I want to be the person that everybody loves. And I don't want to be the person that tells you that the cookies are soggy. Or that we're out of cookies. <laughs> because then you're going to blame me. And then I'm going to feel horrible and I, because I'm going to feel like I failed you. But I'm not the one who ate all the cookies so that there aren't any. I'm not the one who made the cookies soggy. Why am I feeling guilty? Why do I feel guilty over something that's not my doing? Yeah, so that I, that question I have to ask myself. Why am I taking on responsibility for something that's not my responsibility?
1: Mm-hmm. I also feel guilty when, um,
2: in, in the immediate uh, circle of friends, if they say
0: they'll do something and they don't do it through... If, they don't use their observance, our observance. They don't think it through, and I, f- I feel guilty that I criticize them and say that, that's not good enough, and I get frustrated and I get angry and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And I don't know how to handle that either. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when other when other people have committed to do something and they can't come through, and then you get upset about it. Because they are they're lazy, and they're really, really, they don't... Yeah, they overcommit. They're idiots. Why don't they think about what they exactly. can do before they say they're going to do it? I mean, come on already. You're a grown-up. Think about your life. Why are you overcommitting, and why are you committing and then backing out? Just, you know, you just get it together, and five extra minutes, and you can get this thing accomplished, and then we'll all be happy. yeah. 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 These, these sentient beings are so, they are so stupid and ridiculous, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> um, this is where the practice of fortitude and patience are really important. Okay. I made up a slogan that goes: "Sentient beings do sentient being things." Okay. Sentient, a sentient being is anybody who's not a Buddha. Anybody who's not a Buddha, you know, or at least not an Arya, they're going to make a lot of bad decisions. Yeah? So why do I expect ordinary people whose minds are overwhelmed by afflictions to always make good decisions? I don't always make good decisions, but I expect them to. There we differ. No, I'm
1: just kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. So here it's it's where you know it's just like, okay, what's the problem here? You know, okay, they have difficulties, they have to work out, but I have expectations that were unre- unrealistic. And so, okay, I would have liked this to have happened, and it didn't happen. Smile. (laughs) Because at that moment you have two choices. You smile, or you be unhappy. And we're the one who's deciding, am I going to get bummed out about it, or am I going to be okay with it?
2: Huh? Except expectations
0: are just amazing. Yeah, yeah. Our expectations dig us in, into a lot of holes.
2: Yeah. I'm going to be bummed out, and it's going to be your fault.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. There's something so cozy about it. <laughs> I can sit and suck my thumb, and it's somebody else's fault. <laughs> Okay, so we'll, we'll close now. We could discuss this some more after lunch. <laughs> okay. So let's rejoice that we spent the morning together doing something really useful and virtuous and wonderful with our minds and with our hearts. Let's rejoice at what we did as individuals, what we did as a group, and then let's share all that positive energy, all that merit, and imagine sending it out into the universe so that it touches all the other living beings, eliminating their pain. Bringing them joy. Mm -hmm. Due to this merit, may we soon. I the awakened state of Guru Buddha, that we may be able to liberate all certain beings from their suffering. May the precious Bodhi mind not yet born arise and grow. May the born of no decline but increase forever.